Welcome to Hold Fast, a radio outreach ministry of Golgotha Fellowship in Nampa, Idaho. Join us as Pastor Marty teaches us verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, through the Word of God. To listen to any of these messages in their entirety or to find out more about our fellowship, please visit GolgothaFellowship.org. Let's listen in to today's message, and may the Lord richly bless you. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercy? Who through life has been my guide? Then his son Jehoiachin, don't get confused here, he was wicked and he only ruled for three months or so and he was removed. In 597 BC, we know that Nebuchadnezzar had to come fiercely against Judah and he did. And if you go study this out in 2 Kings chapter 24, it tells us that Nebuchadnezzar at that point left only the poorest and the weakest in the land. So there was no worry about rebellion. And he set a man named Zedekiah over Judah to, be, to rule there but to report to him. Now, Zedekiah, of course, did the right thing. He knew this was God's judgment. He just settled in and he said, okay, we're going to receive God's judgment. No, that's not what he did. Here's the thing. He's so much like us. He got antsy. He didn't like the fact that they were in bondage. He didn't like the fact. He didn't like what God had for him. And so what he did is he went to the prophet Jeremiah and he said, hey, intervene for us. Go to God. Talk to him. Get this worked out. So Jeremiah comes back to him and says, I'm sorry, king, but the truth is, is this that you are under judgment, and that God says, no, you are going to stay under judgment. You're going to stay under captivity of Babylon. So Zedekiah rejects it. He rejects what the true prophet of God had to say. Instead, what does he do? He goes seeking after a prophet that will tell him what he wants to hear. Do we see any of this in the church today? Itchy ears. You know, I was talking to people before service. I'm really amazed. because We're teaching through the Gospel of Mark. It's, it's not extremely... Um, hard and difficult at times, but yet, I guess I miss it sometimes, because I've had a couple people, that, and they, one person told me I could talk about it as long as I didn't name his name, but a friend of mine who I invited to church, he said, man, I knew that sermon, I knew you just, you saved that up just for me, and he was pretty offended. He's like, I know, he goes, I'm not coming to church there, you're going to be preaching at me every week. The fact of the matter is, you guys know, we just teach through the Bible, and that old saying, when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs... The one that yelps is the one that got hit. I tried to explain to him, I really didn't know anything about your situation. I really didn't. He didn't believe me. Still doesn't believe me. We're still friends, but he still doesn't believe me. But then I've heard several times where people say that somebody was offended by something I taught. And I said, well, this is the word of God. And I think you guys know that saying, you know, the word of God, it comforts the afflicted, but it afflicts the comfortable. It's sweet and it's bitter. It's both. And that's okay. You know, we cannot have buffet Christianity. You know, I, I, I remember buffets as a kid. I loved them because you could go in there oh, and you could just load up right on whatever you wanted. And that's the way people want to live their life a lot of times in Christianity. I'll take some of that blessing and, you know, some of that favor, but judgment and uh, discipline. No, I'll leave that over there. But here's the thing. Just like the king of Israel, just like the king of Judah, Zedekiah, if we just go looking for those that will give us, you know, the itchy ear philosophy, that if we just go after the things we like, we are doing ourselves and everyone around us an injustice. Because we need both. That's what keeps us in, in line with the Lord. 
The word of God is sweet and it's bitter. It's perfect in every way. And we have to be that. But he doesn't like Jeremiah's answer. And so he rebukes Jeremiah. He, he even, we'll see, starts to persecute him. But he goes to Hananiah, this other prophet, that tells him all this good news. Hey, Hananiah says, you know, we're, if you just go against Babylon within two years, king, you will win. You'll be victorious. God has told me. Thus saith the Lord, you're going to win. But there's a famous story in, uh, in Jeremiah chapter 27 and 28, I think particularly in chapter 28, where Jeremiah then comes in with a yoke. He comes to the king and he says, this yoke is representative of what's going to happen if you go against Babylon. It's going to get worse. You're going to feel the real uh, burden of Babylon's rule over you. And Hananiah, this false prophet, breaks the yoke and says, no, I'm telling you right now, thus saith the Lord, good report, good report. And, uh, but here's the thing. Jeremiah was the prophet of God. Hananiah was a false prophet. And the king, though, was willing to listen to the false prophet because he gave a good report. Jeremiah was then instructed by God to basically curse Hananiah, in a sense, to give a judgment on him, to proclaim judgment that God would take him out because of his disobedience, because he, he led Israel into rebellion. And in Jeremiah, I believe it's the last verse of chapter 28, we read that Hananiah died in the seventh month of that year. God proclaimed he would die. He died in the seventh month, and we know seven is the number of completion. And then after that, even though Jeremiah was proven right, what does Zedekiah do? He imprisoned Je Jeremiah. He treated him horribly. <laughs> this, but this is the history of Israel. This is what they did to the prophets. And so now with all of that background, I'm going to read to you Isaiah 5, which is where Jesus is drawing from Isaiah 5, the prophecy of judgment against Israel for their rebellion and for the way they treated their prophets, the prophets of God. Isaiah 5 verse 1 says, now let me sing to my well-beloved, remember that, beloved, a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in the midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. That's literally sour grapes. Uh, verse 3, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its walls, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor dug. But there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. And this is a prophecy against Judah, against rebellious Israel for their rebellion against God. And we know that judgment did come in the form of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And so here in Mark chapter 12, when Jesus is giving this story, the parable of the vineyard, these religious men should have known what it all represented. And we're going to see the owner of this vineyard is clearly God himself. Verse 1. Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat and built a tower, and he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. And so again, in that day and age, the hills were alive, not with the sound of music, but with vineyards. Wine and grapes were a key commodity in that day. It pushed the economy. It really was valuable. And so there were vineyards everywhere. And again, they would have known this. But when it says they set a hedge, that's simply some kind of protective barrier, a fence, a wall. 
where they would, they would build a, a stone wall often around the vineyard so that it wouldn't get trampled down, that wild beasts wouldn't come in, and that thieves wouldn't have such an easy time to come and steal. But then it also says they, they put a vat, and the vat is just where the wine was collected. But then this tower, vineyards often had a tower, and it had usually it was threefold. First, it was for security purposes, to keep watch over the vineyard. There's so many spiritual principles here, and I'm not going to go into all of it today, but study this out yourself. It was a tower for protection. They would guard from thieves and from animals and from, from pests that would come into the vineyard. But secondly, it was also where they kept all their valuable tools and their seeds to keep them dry. It wasn't like they could get on Amazon.com and order you know, a new shovel. These were handmade. This was difficult to acquire. They couldn't go to Home Depot, so they kept their tools secure. But the third thing is, is the tower was a tower of refuge. A refuge for the people who worked in the vineyard, who could go in there when the, when the elements, when nature would come against them, when it would rain, when it would pour, when it would be cold and windy. They could get out of the elements. They could rest there. They could be protected. It also was a place they could rest overnight sometimes. They would sleep or take naps. It's where they could fellowship together and have a meal together. And so these towers were important. And so obviously, when we're looking at this, God is the owner of the vineyard. And obviously, the vineyard itself is Israel. And the vine dressers in this parable are the religious leaders of Israel. And he expected something from them. But look at verse 2. Now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. Now this is important too because vintage time was the fifth year. And five is the number of grace. And that's important because it was all about grace. The Lord gives us grace. He gave Israel grace. We're always saved by grace. You know, people talk about the, the mean God of the Old Testament and the nice God of the New Testament. He's the same God. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him righteousness. We've always been saved by grace. Now, he set apart Israel for a purpose. And that's why we see some of the judgments that come against Israel because they rebelled. And they got into idolatry and they went wayward. But vintage time was the fifth year. Leviticus 19 tells us this. It says, When you come into the land and have planted all kinds of trees for food, then you shall count their fruit as uncircumcised. Three years it shall be as uncircumcised to you. It shall not be eaten. But in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. And in the fifth year, that fifth year of grace, and in the fifth year you may eat its fruit, that it may yield to you its increase. I am the Lord your God. And so God himself is saying, I required, I expected fruit from my vine dressers, from the ones I trusted with the word, from the ones I trusted with my law, the ones I trusted with my precious people. I expected fruit. But he received nothing. He received nothing. And so in this parable, though, we see that these servants, the servants that the master sends, that the owner sends, they clearly represent the prophets of God, the prophets of Israel. And we know how Israel treated the prophets of God. I just want to remind you, you know, three of the big prophets, we, we have Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Do you guys know what church history tells us how they were killed? L let me tell you this. Isaiah was sawn in half, according to church history. <laughs> Do you know that? By the religious leaders of Israel. Sawn in half. This has been Hold Fast, a radio outreach ministry of Golgotha Fellowship in Nampa, Idaho. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to hear this message again, or any other in their entirety, please visit GolgothaFellowship.org. Our fellowship meets in Southeast Nampa, and our Sunday services are at 10 a.m. For more information visit our website.
Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you. Hi folks, Pastor Marty here. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the teaching today. You know, it's my prayer that it's encouraged you to continue faithfully in the study of God's Word. I think it's so crucially important that these days the body of Christ stay in grounded and anchored in the Word of God as the world around us is sinking in the waves of false doctrine and the opinions of men. If you are seeking a church family, a church home, and you live in the Southeast Nampa area, I want to personally invite you. Our Sunday services are at 10 a.m. and we currently meet at East Valley Middle School. That's right off Greenhurst and Happy Valley. If you want to find out more, if you have any questions, you need directions, you want to catch up on a message, or if you have a prayer request, just go to our website, golgothafellowship.org. Let me help you spell that. It's G-O-L-G-O-T-H-A fellowship.org. Until next time, may God bless you and remember to hold fast.